Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 109th episode of the Truth Island podcast. One of the sentences in the description of this podcast is, Truth Island attempts to negotiate the dangerous middle ground between left and right and asserts to find truth and meaning. But what exactly does that mean? And where exactly is the middle ground in an ever-changing political landscape? In a previous episode of this podcast, we discussed the nature of centrism and perhaps some of its inherent flaws. For example, should you always stake your belief system in the absolute median when two sides are at war with one another? Is it acceptable to ever say that you are in between viewpoints when it comes to things such as slavery or genocide? What role does circumstance play in either moderating or radicalizing our points of view? It is said that moderation is the key to everything, but what happens during the middle of a war or an economic crisis? Perhaps so few people flock to the middle because they don't exactly know where that middle is and what it looks like. We as humans are evolved to gravitate towards that which we can see and understand and are more skeptical of that which has yet to be. We see Republicans and Democrats each with their issues, platforms, and belief systems regarding the direction of this country, and perhaps more generally, the nature of humans. We see only a choice between the porridge that is too hot or too cold, and never look for that bowl that is just right. It is said that incoming generations are less imaginative than those who came before. And perhaps because of that lack of imagination, we lack the ability to envision systems or beliefs that are entirely new altogether. There was a time when there was no communism, capitalism, mercantilism, or even democracy. And yet somehow someone was bold enough to imagine that which did not exist. A society which only focuses on what is instead of what could remains destined to sink further into the quickstand of stagnation. But what if, much like a man and woman coming together to conceive a new life, conversation can help build new ideas and new beliefs, the offspring we so desperately need? Joining me in my search to find the sacred valley of the middle, I am joined once again by Alexander. Alex, are you ready to search for something that no one has succeeded in finding or even knows to exist? Let's do it. Let's find our philosophical El Dorado. <laughs> the, the lost city of Atlantis, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about, like a mythic middle way, you know, a, um, a utopian understanding where 100% of people can come together, compromise just enough to create a conclusion. Wouldn't that just be dandy? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny, on my very last episode, I, I, I say that like, and I, I've said this over and over again, that like at the end of the tunnel, I am an idealist, but I'm a realist the whole way through that tunnel, you know? So I'm, I have idealistic expectations, but I'm 100% realist, you know, along, along the journey. You know, I make sure that I pack enough sandwiches for everyone to eat and enough water bottles and, and sunscreen and so forth, right? And so I think that what we need to start doing is 
actually, the reason why I believe that nobody goes to the middle is because it's something that can't be seen. The, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Republican platform, the Democratic platform are so tangible and so visible. Like, I am against abortion. I am for this. I am for immigration. It's so tangible. And the only reason people choose it is because they can only choose what they see. And the only way to kind of bring about new ideas is to actually give it tangible form. That's an interesting perspective. Uh, I would agree with that. I always thought it was because if you were to look at it like playing Settlers of Catan. <laughs> great game. You know, where there are certain, great game, right? Where there are some, uh, I think there are hexagons, right? Or pentagons, whatever the shape is. Yeah. Forgive me, it's been a while. There's different values for different strategic placements. And so I think that politicians see higher political capital gains by being more towards the extreme, because then the polarity of their ideas centers them in this uh, ideology that's champ championing their, uh, their, their political party. Mm -hmm. And I think being a pragmatist, being in the middle is somewhat stigmatized, which is a, a massive shame. And you get more YouTube clicks you get more conversational talking points on CNN and Fox News when you're more towards the extreme. You're circling through social media and all sorts of different types of uh, communications because you're more extreme. And so I just think that that's just the way that the cards fall towards their favor. I actually, you know, I think that has a large amount to do with it. And there's also this idea that the middle is boring. And this is this is an argument that I kind of made in, in, in a previous episode, whereas extremism is sexy as hell. Like it's really, it's, it's sexy as hell. Like, oh my God, we need a total overhaul or revolution of this. You know, it's like, it's really sexy. And creates like these, these epics, right? And where we're so, right. we're, we're such a like, you know, addicted to entertainment and, and like right. Game of Thrones and all of this other stuff. And that's what we want to see. We kind of want, like, if you actually look at the people who stormed the Capitol, like some of them were dressed like Game of Thrones characters. Like they, they so, are, they are totally living the role play and people who speak sense and wisdom and reason, they're boring, right? Their conversations tend to be longer. Their ideas tend not to be that radical, but I would make the argument that the truth is not sexy. The truth has never been sexy. And right. I think we, we as a society need to start training people to start searching for the truth, even if it's boring. Right. Truth to me is always a globular object as opposed to a straight line. Yeah. So there's multiple dimensions going at it from different angles and you have to be able to expand your perspective like that, kind of like that, um, that plastic piece that we had in science class that was an atom, right? And then you stretch out the plastic pieces and it becomes more of a circle as opposed to kind of like jagged. You know what I'm talking about? Like that, uh, that collapsible uh, uh, molecule that you can expand out or expand in that's kind of like connect pieces. Man, I went that's to the way we need to be thinking. I went to a crappy public school. I have no idea. What oh, did I just show myself up? <laughs> <laughs> well, we had the funding for that. No, <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah, it's people people assume when when dealing with relationships and politics and truth and understanding and discourse and knowledge and wisdom that it's a straight line towards the right choice. It's just a direct linear relationship. I'm on a path towards the truth. Totally inaccurate. Totally inaccurate. I think it's a sum of multiple parts that creates the truth. Otherwise, it's just your truth. 
mm-hmm. not the truth. And if you're not able to remove yourself from your truth to hear the truth, then you're never going to get anything done. And I think okay. that sums up what our politics are. I think I have like a visual analogy for what the truth might look like. Imagine you've got one of these like 10K puzzles, right? Like one of these puzzles that has like so many darn pieces. And the only way that you can do the 10K puzzle is if you've got like 10 people with you doing the puzzle with you and you're all working together and all trying to like uh, make that waterfall or whatever it is come to life. When you're working with other people, they can see parts of the puzzle that you cannot see. Right. Like they they be like, no, 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 this outer part goes over here, you know, and like that's kind of how you construct truth. I I think it's a it's a puzzle that we're all putting together. Only each of us can see only certain pieces because what are the what do those pieces represent? They actually represent our lived experiences and no two humans, even if you have a sibling, no two siblings even have the same human um, have the same experiences, let alone people on opposite ends of the country. I think that hits it right in the head. No, no opinion is the same. And you just have to detach yourself. And I just, I think that this is the problem is no one's willing to compromise. And, you know, I'm almost inclined to play devil's advocate against your original opinion. Hey, uh, you, you need to mention. Sure, absolutely. Okay, great. Because I know that deep down, we both agree that going the middle way isn't always applicable depending on what the situation is right for talking about like human rights totally different conversation but i'm going to play some devil's advocate so i would argue that the middle way is the only way towards progress as the devil's advocate for a few simple reasons you want to be able to snowball change i think what's going on now is that we're so stuck on getting the adjustment in totality that we're not even making it a quarter 40 percent 50 percent of the way Mm -hmm. and so with subjects like healthcare or universal basic income or um you know the the ability to have more jobs in the united states right to 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 shift regulations so that companies want to remain in the states yeah things like this wouldn't it make more sense to get a partial way? Like, wouldn't it make more sense for you to partially get healthcare paid I'm, for by this company as opposed to nothing? You know, I, I'm. You know, a lot of people on the left will say that that's a philosophy called incrementalism, and you know, like, Ooh. oh, well, you just add, and the people, and, and they would say, no, 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 no. The way you get what you want, like, if you up, and they will point to like things like slavery and other things, and be like, no, no, you must take the most extreme position humanly possible and keep hammering that nail. Uh, in, I I kind of see a middle way. And mm-hmm. what I, I think is important is like when you're, pers- and the middle way is actually very spiritually important because it's actually mm-hmm. the preferred way to live in Buddhism. The middle way, right. there is like and a- Christianity. Yes, the, the, you know, the middle way actually does have like spiritual origins. I think what what is important about the middle way is knowing that the middle way changes on the, the the exact circumstances in which you're living in. So let's just take something like UBI, for example. Let's just say the economy was super duper booming right now. Unemployment was at record lows. Well, that might, UBI may not be the middle way in that particular instance, right? It might, it might, it might be too extreme in one direction. Now you add a pandemic and you add like 50% of storefronts closing down. Now UBI becomes the new middle way. So I think what, what you're constantly calibrating in, into these 
ideas is that you're constantly seeing what's going on around you and then you're figuring out what the new middle way is given the parameters of what you're you're living in you know what i mean i i think that's that's like again like the way your mindset during war is not the like the middle way during war right. is a different middle way different these times like we we have passed you know laws you know the alien sedition act the espionage act you know we've passed all of these crazy laws during times of war but maybe that was the middle way quote unquote during those particular instances in history so i agree with you but i'm going to push back on the ubi example i actually think the ubi uh, argument is one of the most middle way choices we can make right now. And the uh, reason being is down the road, everything is gonna be so automated. It's gonna be putting people out into the street and then extreme measures are gonna happen. The argument for conservative points of view is that at this very moment, it makes no sense. But the argument for a progressive person is saying, yeah, but we see a cliff just down the walkway that we know we're heading straight towards it makes sense to take smaller action now to mitigate the risks of what's coming in the future. So I think politicians, they just do a great job of not seeing down the road. Um, and you know they're fighting tooth and nail for the current, the current zeitgeist of the moment because that's what taps into our, you know, our lizard brains here as, as uh, natural born citizens, you know, like as, as just, uh, you know, naturally interested citizens, excuse me, is what I mean to say. Because that's what makes us emotionally like roused, right? No, it's, it, it's, it's, very, it's very funny that you mention that. And I largely agree with you that today, like as of today in 2021, UBI is a middle way. When I actually first heard about UBI, I heard about it all the way back in 2017. And I, I was actually, you know, I heard, I heard about it like in a graduate class and I was surrounded by people mostly on the left. And even those people on the left were like, I don't know. I don't think that's feasible. I don't think we can really pay for that or whatever. And, you know, I'm, 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 like, 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 like and, you know, and these were like, like pretty left-wing graduate students. And even they were like, I don't really know. Boom, you know, pen, you know, all. So I, I think that that's like an example of like, and you, maybe you were right. Maybe UBI in 2017 was the middle way all along, but I think that like our, our orientation and our circumstances kind of allow us to see it ever so much more clearer. Yeah, and in order to see things clearly, you have to be able to listen to other opinions. And again, this is the three-dimensionality of, or let's not even say three-dimensionality, let's say f it's 5D, it's not even 3D. <laughs> You know, it's, it's multiple dimensions outside the physical material world. You have to be able to recognize historical patterns and potentially the way, you know, the toilet drains drain and down, you know, like you got to be able to see what is most likely coming into the future and also what people currently need that aren't you, that don't yeah. have your situation. And, you know, I, I would love to be on this podcast and say, I have faith. <laughs> that's happening <laughs> like maybe i could list a few people um that i have faith in to do that but a few people is not what makes a government right like you, right. you can't have an abraham lincoln swing through without the support that abraham lincoln had like you're not gonna make an abraham lincoln lincoln mm -hmm. you, you, you have to have the entire team it's got to be the systemic team team sport right it just happens to be you know, you happen to become famous because you're the one single leader. My concern is, is that it's so easy. There's, there's so much um, 
advantage in the logistics of popularity contests. There's so much advantage in the logistics of flip-flopping, right? There's now a, a, there's now multiple faces to the same head, right? There's multiple heads to the same dragon. Right. Let's call it that, right? You can be publicly, you can be on social media talking about how you believe all these things, how you believe a certain type of war is wrong, how the United States needs to be more isolationist. Meanwhile, you vote for going overseas to Iran or, you know, um, recently the, the, the defense secretary was just grilled about future wars in Africa. And they had an entire conversation about how they both believe that Africa is the next playing field. And it was like a 30 minute confirmation for him so that he could be approved in order to be put into this situation. So, you know, you have these war hawks that aren't on social media telling their point of views. So there's just, there's so many, it's, it's so angular, the, the game plan, and there's no principle to bring them together. And so to, one, to follow truth, you have to be principled. Now, I, I, I agree with you. Now, I think to solve this problem, I think, and I have to actually have to say, I think, data science actually does have a solution here, right? As much as we've had previous episodes where we're like, oh, we hate data and whatever. But in this <laughs> instance, I think that if you looked at, you know, in, in economics, when we're defining like the middle class, we call it like the middle 60, right? The 20, mm-hmm. 20th percentile to the 80th percentile. And what that does is it allows you to take a lot of the outliers. It, it allows you to take the guy out who's earning $0 a year. And it also allows you to take the guy who's earning, you know, uh, $50 million a year, right? And sort of focus in the middle. And I'm wondering if we could have more moderate Republicans, more moderate Democrats kind of coming together and just shutting the door on the really extreme people and just being like, look, guys, we love you, whatever. But like, you're just not invited to this party right now. This is for really reasonable people who can talk about things for, you know, five, six, seven, ten hours, right? And like, you know, so sometimes I even find myself talking to people, like we, we I'll record my hour podcast and then we'll continue talking about the, the, the topic for another hour. And it's like extreme people, I notice, are not really capable of actually having a very fluid conversation. They kind of stake their flagpole into the ground and say, this is what I believe in, and they don't budge. Exactly. And and that happens on the left, happens on the right. So my answer to this is just stop inviting those people to the party. Like have your party of like highly reasonable people that do vacillate, that do oscillate a little bit. Stop seeing those people as weak, right? We also have this like connotation in our head that if you oscillate or you vacillate or you say, oh, you know, you've made me think about that a little bit, you're weak. Like we have this idea drilled into American culture that we want strong men and women who, who, plant flagpoles and and colonize and take over with their ideas. But we have to start respecting uh, the middle of the road guy who does kind of vacillate a little bit more. Yeah, it's a tricky subject because both are important strategies to get what you want, you know, plain and simple. But when it comes down to a living entity of government who are usually and hopefully recycled through every so every few years, new faces, new, new blood, new relationships. Compromise should be the longest lasting um, strategy there is because you, you can't invest to colonize someone with your ideas, right? If they're just gonna get voted out. Right. And it's one, of the, it's one of the beauties of our system. And so that's the way it's intended to be. The problem is, is that I don't think people vote enough on Congress or who's running for Senator in order to air out the mustiness of, you know, these, these old 
these old uh, pillars of our government just voting for the same crap over and over and over again. Right. Um, you know, I, I get the whole strongman principle because this is just what's reinforced in media. And but I always found that to represent a profound sense of fragility internally. The person who plants their flag and is like, I'm unwavering. <laughs> um, they're scared. They're scared to leave to, to leave the city walls, to leave the citadel of their, their preconceptions, right? Yet at the same time, guys like you and I, the ones who are able to have conversations with these types of people, at the same time, we have to convert them into the middle way people. We have yes. to convert them into somewhat compromising, open-minded, democratic-focused people. What's kind of funny is the temperament of the American maybe isn't so democratic. Right. I mean, that might be an argument you could say. Most people are middle of the way, but they just don't realize it. Like I, and I, and that's just, just talking with people because I talk with people all the time and, and there was this really wonderful, I, I was really reading about this one political theorist and I loved what he said. He, and he actually encapsulates most people that I just randomly bump onto the street who probably don't read anything about politics at all. Most Americans have fairly, conservative home values, but have liberal economic inclinations. And, and, what, and what that exactly means is that like, they, they kind of believe in like following the law. When I say conservative values, I don't necessarily mean Christian. I mean, following the laws, going to college, getting a good job, supporting your family, taking responsibility for yourself, taking ownership of your, like most people have like those principles of like, mm -hmm. they don't necessarily believe that a giant revolution should come and everyone should be living in mansions right. sort of ideology. Right. They just believe in that basic, you know, that basic conservative, like, uh, you know, they probably even believe that like, you know, children should be respectful to adults, that those kind of conservative values. And then they are more liberal on like, well, if someone can't eat, we ought to give them some food stamps. If someone needs a surgery, we ought to give them some health insurance that allows them to get that surgery and go back to work. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, and, and most Americans, I think, at the subconscious level, have that understanding of the world. Because why do they have that understanding of the world? Because it's actually based in truth and reality. Everyone, every human right. being knows that a sick person who's on a deathbed needs to be helped so that they can return to society. Everyone knows that a starving child or a starving human being is, is, going, is, of, is of a waste, right? Like we all know these things to be absolutely true. And what happens is that when we go to vote, we sort of see these, you know, ever more radicalized, ideologically based philosophies that are kind of based on very abstract things. And people are like, well, all right, I'm just going to pull this. I'm going to push this button. I'm going to pencil in this, this, this person because it's the closest approximation of what I sort of kind of don't really believe in. And that's the problem is that we don't actually have people in this world that are actually speaking to that conscience of the, of the regular non-politically aware American. Well, I guess the question is, is it because we are lacking in the kind of character needed for that or to make it a little less, I guess, lock in and to make it a little bit more, well, who's the opposite of lock? Was it Hobbes? Right, that believes that everyone's criminals, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he believes um, everyone follows men, criminal nature. Yeah, men were uh, inherently evil. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, on a more 
Hobbes' point of view is it that there's no reward structure for that kind of character anymore and that there are people who have it, but why bother? Why bother I, following that path? I, I think what it comes down to is, and this is where I think we have to overcome our own selfishness, is I think that the guy or the lady running for office who has the radical um, point of view represents that Game of Thrones level of excitement. It's that, oh, it's like, oh, this is, so, you know, and I think Trump represents Game of Thrones level of excitement. I think that any, any you know, and, and maybe even some of the, you know, people on the left represent that as well. They have very radical ideas and, and very radical ideas of how the world could work. And that's really exciting. So when you have mm -hmm. like guys who are sort of in the middle way talking about, you know, talking for three hours on C-SPAN about this like housing bill or something, we just don't, we don't listen because it's not Game of Thrones excitement. And mm -hmm. what we need to kind of do is be like, hey, do you want to have a nice house? Do you want jobs that pay a livable wage? Do you want health insurance? Do you want like uh, an education system that kind of breeds principle and respect and and like adherence? Or do you not want those things? You want to be entertained. Yeah. And I think I think this is the same thing that goes on in Rome is that people wanted that gladiator fight. They wanted it so yeah. badly that they actually stopped caring about the things that were actually problems within the empire. And that's exactly where we're at right now is that people want to be entertained more than the actual problems that are destroying their families. That is exactly, exactly the same. Ancient Rome needing to be entertained. I would argue that we want to be entertained more than we want to be informed or we want to be successful. Yeah. Um, sadly. So maybe the problem isn't the politicians. It's maybe not. The problem is the it's, people. I I I one hundred percent agree with that. And the way that I think we can start reaching people is to start, one start talking to them and start reaching them because our, our our major media isn't doing that and and. I understand why the media is doing that. They want to make money. It's they want to make money and yeah. they know that two reasonable guys in suits talking for three and a half hours on a complicated housing bill, that's not pulling in any, <laughs> that's not pulling in any ratings, that no one is watching that at all. You know, when I when I was a kid, C SPAN was like channel eight, you know, like ninety-two or something. And it's like you you could see that that like it was completely empty. But I'm like, those are actually the revolutionaries, those are actually the people right. that are going to get things done. They're actually the ones that are fighting for you every single day. And it, they're not the most fascinating, charismatic characters in the world. But my whole thing is like, why don't you just, if you want to be entertained, go to the movies or find something else to be entertained with. And I think people don't really realize how high the stakes are. It's like, mm -hmm. if you lose a family member because they had inadequate health care or something like that, you're partly, I have to say, you're partly right. responsible for that because you were too busy being entertained. You were too busy watching entertaining YouTube videos. And that kind of prevented you from taking more of a vested interest in, in, in people who could actually help you. The boring guy is actually the guy who could have maybe gotten you to pass the healthcare. You know, it, it's like the, we have this, the, this like Bernie Sanders meme going all over the place. I'm like, instead <laughs> of freaking creating a stupid meme, why don't you actually like look into some of his policies or actually look into policies right. like that, that they're going to help? Well, maybe someone will. Maybe someone will be like, who is this bald falcon with interesting you know, <laughs> designed mittens. 
that everyone's sharing around as a meme. Oh, wow, Bernie Sanders. Oh, wow, he is one of the most uh, important civil rights records of all time. Oh, wow, he ran for president. Oh, the DNC ripped him off. Oh, wow, this, that, the other. That'd be great. That'd be great. I doubt that. That's the, and, but, that's, but that's not on anyone. That's not on any politician. That's on us for being too distracted and, too, and having no attention span. You know what I mean? So th- this is where I kind of say that the problem is more on us than it is on them because people are going to naturally exploit what they can get away with. And if they know that no one is paying attention to what they're doing, well, they're going to continue doing it. That it's sad, and this is where I am kind of like a Hobbesian, and I say that like, you know, if no one, if no, if nobody is paying attention to something, people will do it. That's just that's just human yeah. nature. It's sad, but you know, on this show we deal with ugly truths, no matter how ugly so I'm, we are. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the middle, I'm gonna play the devil's advocate here again. Yeah. So I would say that one of the beauty, one of the most beautiful aspects of democracy is that we hire these people we vote these people so that we don't have to pay a hundred percent of our attention to it so the middle way with this should be people should pay enough attention but not necessarily have it consume them Mm -hmm. because you know the average single parent who's taking care of three kids working two jobs has no fucking time to understand the geopolitical changes that are going on in the Crimea, you know, or hearing about what's really happening with the Uyghurs or how Facebook companies are flipping elections in Africa. Like they don't have time to study this stuff. So, you know, it's such a tough thing to dissect. And, you know, I'm, I'm so underqualified to be able to do that. You know, I'm, um, I'm glad that you actually brought up this problem because it's actually a problem that was addressed thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago by a man named Plato. And Plato actually saw and described the exact problem that you just described, that like the guy who's making pottery bowls is too darn busy to pay attention to how this, you know, um, democracy needs to be run, right? And what Plato proposed is that there be a guardian class of people whose sole responsibility was to just just to do that, to kind of make sure that every everything was happening the way that it should. Now, a lot of people say, well, we already, Aaron, uh, what are you talking about? We already have the Senate and the House, and we already have reporters, investigative journalists doing this hard work for us, mm-hmm. but they're not really doing that work. Not like, anymore. That, not anymore, yeah. right? They're not acting as the guardian class. And I think what we need to start investing in this country is you're, you're right. I, I don't think that the single mom is in a position um, to like right. in on foreign policy with Syria. Like, I don't, I don't think she has that time. God bless her. Um, but what we do need is we do need to start looking for new guardians and new stewards to start watching things. And then we can, those stewards can actually disseminate information to the masses and, and build up that trust you know, and right. build up that trust. And what I think it is, is that according to Plato, the way that you kind of craft this guardian class is that you actually have them live in poverty or, or you have them living mm. like no, like monastic. Yeah. You, you they live in a very monastic lifestyle. And the reason that's so important is that they have not there. They have no horse in the game whatsoever. Right. And, you know, that's the goal of the guardian class is that they don't have any horse in the game. Whoever gets elected, they're not becoming richer. 
And that's exactly what this country needs is that we need, yes. a, we need a guardian class that has no horse in the game. They don't care about ratings. Like they don't care right. about the ratings because all of these, you know, politicians, they have, they want to get reelected. The media companies, they want to make money off views. Yep. So the only way to combat this is to kind of integrate a guardian class that can objectively rule on what's going on. Wow. So funny you bring this up because when you were talking about data scientists and our, our point about how starting from that kind of data might be an advantageous means of compromise, right? Being like, this is our baseline. Let's add the flesh. Let's figure out what the rest is. Brought up similar thoughts. I was like, wouldn't it be great if they were just this hidden group um, of people who maybe can't vote and their entire job is to check, fact check anything that's on the media, right? Every posting, everything, be like, actually, technically this isn't true because of this, this, and this, and just have it be uh, the voice of reason that slices through all the bullshit. Man, that would be amazing. Do you think that's possible? I absolutely. Isn't, I, isn't that what the fourth estate is supposed to be? I absolutely do feel it's possible. And one interesting thing I talked when I was uh, many years ago in London, I talked with a guy and I actually just like offhandedly remarked like, you know, don't you guys think it's a little silly to have kings and queens? And he actually turned to me like dead serious and said, we love the queen around here. And I was like, what, really? Like, what, you know, what's so special? And he said to me something that actually has stuck with me a very long time. Imagine you have a person that just cannot be removed from power. They, like they, then they have to be beloved for all times that can actually just at critical moments stays really silent, but then at really critical moments can just speak some truth and then just yeah. vanish into thin air. And, and I said, you know, I never thought of it that way. He's like, the queen doesn't need to worry about being reelected or what her popularity right. is, right? And and like, I was like, man, there is some kind of a wisdom there in that parliamentary monarchy or whatever it is right. that's going on over there. And I'm not saying we should have a king or we should have a queen, but I, I kind of think that we need a class almost of monks in a way, mm -hmm. like like monk, like 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 people dedicate. And when I say monks. I don't mean, oh, you can't have children. You have to take vows of celibacy and, and live right. on the street. What I'm saying is a life of very, very plain, very plain Jane, you know, like you got your basic needs met, you know, you live, you ride the subways and you basically live like just like anyone else and you have no hope of ever earning more. But the one thing that we do give you is we do give you that power and that influence and not just one person, but a class of guardians that, that can come together and, and start debating these things. I'm not saying that this, there's many ways that this can go wrong, but I think that's a good mm. start of this conversation is creating the guardian class. So what we really need are Jedi. That's <laughs> what we need. Just people to cut through like, you know, uh, uh, intellectual Jedi. I'm being completely serious. I'm not even trying to pull funny. We need people who are just not emotionally wavering but are able to just spill the truth and yes. to not really need material gain, but are taking care of just enough for their basic needs, but not alienated to a point where they can't relate. That would be such an interesting change in democracy, right? That would be a unique pillar to add because, man, I think that could be so useful. What, what is the closest thing that has been done to that? Maybe the um, Oracle, right? <laughs> Um, or like magi, 
from the I, Middle East? Like, I mean, I think we're we're like we're, I'm taking actually a very old and ancient idea, and and I think, but I think we if we were to do this, we would actually be the very. I think the closest we ever had was maybe. Um, maybe in in Sparta there was like a council of elders so I, I think that's the, the 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 closest approximation but I don't think it actually has been done um you know it's never really been implemented on a large scale so I think this would kind of be like the first incarnation of this and I think there would be a lot of failures and I think there'd be a lot of trial and errors but what I think is is that you want to make this job so unattractive that if you are a narcissist or you're power hungry, you're not going to want to be a guardian because you're going to be like, no, no, vow, vow of, of, of modesty. I'm not going to say vow of poverty, but a, a vow of modesty is not really yeah. attractive to me. Like the, the vow of modesty is going to all the narcissists, all your guys who like want to take a dump on a golden toilet. They're, they're not going to want, they're not going to be down for that. They're not going to be down for like, you know, two hour subway rides, just like the rest of us. But I think that if you set that up, there is a class of people that really want to make decisions and they live for like I, I personally live for this. I just I don't care. I'm not a materialistic. I don't really care about like fancy things. I just love making great decisions in concert with other smart people. I actually just live for right. that. There is there is there are some kooky birds like me out there who just want to do this all day long. And it's like it's sad. It's sad that our political system is infiltrated by narcissists. It's infiltrated by people who are highly materialistic. Again, people, overwhelmingly, the majority of people in the House and Senate are millionaires. You know, I was just reading like, like mm -hmm. almost every, every senator in Capitol Hill is a millionaire. All of them have Twitter pages, Instagram pages, and all, mm -hmm. all of this photography around their existence. And I'm like, come on now. These people are not guardians. They're not stewards of democracy. They're, 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 they're kind of mini demigods, but you know, and the only reason they can't go further is because the founders were smart enough to put some decent checks and balances into this, into this bucket. And this is exactly what we were discussing before, how the logistics of popularity are just too useful to the, to this class of American, to the, to the ruling class. Mm -hmm. It's just far too useful. It's, Whereas before, the, the way that you gained influence, I think, was by being one of the more principled, present, um, and magnanimous characters in the room. And your fellow men, whatever senator, congressman, saw the way that you handled yourself, saw the way you were able to handle a room of 200 plus people, the way you spoke, the resonance in your body, the way that you kept eye contact, the, inflec the inflection in your speech, they could tell that you had a sense of character yes. and that's what kept you in your seat because you have, you have one shot to impress people. When you go up on a podium in random cities across, you know, uh, 13 colonies, right? You had one shot. So those were the baseline. That was the baseline. Whereas now it's okay. How does it appear they're helping? Not how have I experienced them helping? And, you know, I think that needs to shift. Um, this whole idea of a guardian class, I think, is the smartest middle way choice that we can make. You know, because this isn't going to end. No, it's not going to end. And I, I think one of the best books that I read within the past few months is Amusing Ourselves by Neil Postman. And he talks that like before television, our politicians were actually a lot uglier. 
they were really? a lot yeah they were a lot more monotone they were a lot more boring <laughs> and why is that well they didn't have to put makeup to go on television and they didn't have to appear right. as beautiful and they did not speak to large as large of crowds with television cameras watching but they were actually smarter Right. And it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting because like the mono, like, you know, we think, I ever seen that movie, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, what's his name? Uh, Have I seen Ferris Bueller's yeah, Day Off? Yeah. Right. I'm stupid question right there. But, um, you know, that guy, uh, Ben Stein, who's the teacher and he's like talking. Mm -hmm. like I'm like, okay. Yeah. Ben Stein appears boring, but he actually is a pretty, like, I think he's like a Harvard lawyer. He's actually a really smart guy. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's the kind of person you want running your country because yes, he's boring. Yes, he's not charismatic, but that's the whole point. That's what makes mm. him qualified to make really important decisions is that they actually have the right. tolerance to talk about boring things for an elongated period of time. And right. we, we've got to get back to that. And, you know, the, the, the genie, you know, is already out of the bottle in terms of social media and television. Like we can't undo that. But I think that this guardian class of, of people that are not on Instagram are not trying to get likes and all this other stuff. Yeah. I think that's a good check that we could have. And again, I, I wouldn't just snap my fingers and bring this into existence. There needs to be some trial and error and there needs to be, you know, I would definitely take an incremental approach. But I think we need to start getting this conversation going. I think Plato, you know, wanted to save the democracy of Athens. He really wanted to. And, and, and I think in right. his heart, he, 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 even though he predicted that all democracies become tyrannies, I think there's a part of him that was like, if you really are serious about this experiment with democracy, you need to have yourself a guardian class. God, that'd be so great. Maybe that's, maybe that's um, something we can add to the bucket list of how this podcast reshapes the world. Absolutely. I, I think that's, Island guardian class. I, I think I'm going to keep advocating for this you know over and over and over because i i think it's 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 so important and i get if you don't if you want if you if, if you are a person out there in this world and you want to be entertained fair enough man like go ahead play your gears of war play grand theft auto 50 hours a week or whatever you know like if you, that's really what you want just stay the hell away from politics and stay away the hell from really important complicated issues and i think that's a fair request to make it is like if you want to and again if we look you know it, it, it just gets very dangerous the trend that people thought it was dangerous when Reagan was running for office because he was quote unquote an actor or whatever. And, you know, I, I think the trend here is getting worse and worse where people are already talking about like a Kardashian run for office or any like we're, we're all gravitating towards the wrong people because they're entertaining. And we need this really badly right now. And I, I am dedicated towards this mission of, of bringing back some kind of guardian class of people that can come together. And it's, it can't just, it can't just be a hundred people. I think it has to be thousands and thousands of people that, that want this and they know what they're, they're getting themselves into. Yeah. It would have to be um, representative of the ethnic and socioeconomic pool. Absolutely. Of the country, right. It yes. can't be like a group of elites that have everything taken care of for them because then they don't necessarily understand the struggle. And this is the tr this this would be the double-edged sword aspect of this idea. If you had this guardian class and they're taking care of to a point where their sole purpose is to remain educated enough, compassionate and empathetic enough towards the plight of the everyday American that they're able to determine truth between emotional 
you know, desperation. Sure. Um, they would have to be involved in the emotional desperation and then develop discipline within. So that would be probably the trickiest part. But if we were to accomplish that, that would just do absolute wonders. It would be almost like having a PBA card for politics, mm-hmm. right? You put in the hours, you've, you put in a certain number of community service hours into your local municipality within the area, mm-hmm. right? Maybe that gives you like a, a 10% reduction on um, parking costs and ticket costs and things like this. If you were to put in a certain number of hours into the, into your local municipal, um, I think that would be an amazing idea, right? Like the more community service hours you put in, the more amenity you get, because you ha- unfortunately we're in a capitalist society and we're America. So you're going to have to incentivize the everyday American as well sure. as get this guardian class. Now, this is interesting what you say, because Plato, when he's talking about the guardian class in the Republic, specifically says that they should come from all walks of life. And he specifically uh, puts effort in mentioning that if there are young, I mean, the only, you know, he was talking about men, obviously, and that's like the one thing that we can change about this. But he was saying young boys and young men of talent, even if they derive from the lower classes, should be allowed to join the guardian class. And I think that's really important. And I think having somebody who rides the subway every day is an asset to have in the guardian class because they actually get like one thing that bothers me is the people who make decisions they don't ride the subway you know like i think every every when we have a a a mayoral election here in new york city they'll ride the subway for like a good week and get the photo opportunity and like here's me riding the six train for like five stops from city hall to like the financial district Ooh, big freaking deal but they're not they're not actually riding that thing every single day and i think when you ride that thing every single day you know just how important that subway is because you've been riding it for years and you know the importance of reliable transportation. And that might give you like a um, emotional bias, but then that emotional bias can be checked by somebody else in the garden Mm -hmm. within that guardian class. But I I think that's what we need. And I think, I, I think, look, we can't have elites who have who live lives that are significantly different than that of the populace that, that just right. it, it's a recipe for disaster if like if i you know if i'm tra- like did you know like sometimes when i'm in manhattan alex right this is just how crazy it is sometimes it's like 20 degree weather and i see a really rich person get outside of like the you know with the suburban limo or whatever it is that they travel in the guy's not even wearing a jacket because his life is so properly tailored that he just gets in the right. fancy limo the fancy limo then takes him to the destination that he's only outside for like three seconds and just immediately goes into like the hotel or whatever it is that he's doesn't even wear a freaking like jacket like just like transfer just literally gets out of the fancy limo and then goes into the next fancy places that's like well heated and i'm like how can a person that doesn't even know how to put on a freaking jacket and walk like 10 blocks you know in, in a given direction how is that person going to have any empathy or understand the plight of working people that just that makes zero sense to me whatsoever yeah their the answer is they won't <laughs> they won't you know and he'll, he'll be the first person in like a survival situation to be like i'm dying from cold help me you know <laughs> it's like it's like you can't you can't live this kind of lifestyle that's so sheltered and so removed um from reality and make objective decisions because when when you live that lifestyle and say oh man you know we need funding for the mta 
what's the MT? It's like an abstract thing that you, you, you can visualize trains in your mind, but you don't know what it means to really run late for work. And again, if you're a pure narcissist and you're a pure materialistic person, you're not going to want to be in the guardian class. It's going to be for the true believers and the true people who want to solve problems. And pulling upon all walks of life is actually going to be the middle way. Because I, I think I the way, like, it's not that each person in the guardian class is just super reasonable, although we hope that they are, but they're also being checked by other working class reasonable right. people that can make sure that those decisions are actually coming, you know, to where they need, arriving where they need to be. Let's make it happen. Absolutely. Alex, we are going to continue, to continue these conversations. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you again. Appreciate it. This concludes the 109th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.